We look forward to more sounds like this coming up for four days with Jesus. We will have a lot of string music those four days. Thank you, students, um, for those sounds this morning. We read again a parable from the Gospel of Luke. I invite you to stand for the reading of the word. Today we're reading from Luke chapter 18. This is a contemporary English Bible that I'm reading from this morning. Jesus was telling them a parable. This is a parable about their need to pray continually and not be discouraged. He said to them, in a certain city, there's a judge. This judge who is neither fearing God nor respecting people. In the city, there was a widow who kept coming to him asking, give me justice in the case against my adversary. For a while, he, the judge, refused, by finally, but finally said to himself, I don't fear God, I don't respect people, but I will give this widow justice because she keeps bothering me. Otherwise, there will be no end to her complaining, her coming here and embarrassing me. The word of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Her name is Gladys, all right? That's the name this morning, Gladys. Now, I want you to tell me if you think Gladys is A, a Welsh princess, B, a babysitter, C, a grandmother, D, a leading character in a romantic Edwardian novel. By the way, D is not like a trick answer, it turns out Gladys is a very uh, period name for Edwardian novel times, so. All of you who think she's a Welsh princess, let me see your hand. Gladys is a Welsh princess? Kathy, it's just you. Oh, no, you've got a couple. Who thinks Gladys is a babysitter? Let me see your hands. A few more. Who thinks Gladys is grandma? Yes. Who thinks that Gladys is a leading character in a romance novel? Oh, a few of you. Gladys. Gladys came to the house, and about 7.30 every evening she would fall asleep. And this was pure delight for four children. Gladys would eat supper, we would pull up the rocking chair, we would turn on to tell the truth or a game show. Gladys would sit down and begin to rock, and one of us would run for the brush. And we put a little stool behind the rocking chair, and all four of us would rotate through and take turns, because if you combed Gladys's hair and stroked it for long enough, she'll fall asleep. When she falls asleep, we know it's going to be a good evening, and when the snores settle, it's going to be great. Once the snores began, we've probably got an hour so we turn the channel on the television. We go to all the things we're not supposed to see. It is the best hour of the week. Gladys wakes up, sits up with a start. Gladys takes all the blame on herself. It was her fault for falling asleep. She sends the four of us off to bed. Shh, it'll be our secret. <laughs> Nobody's going to get in trouble. Which leads to the question to our parents the next day, when is Gladys coming back? When is Gladys coming back? So forever, from the time I'm little, when I hear the name Gladys, I expect someone with silver hair. 
and someone who falls asleep easy and someone who looks a little bit like a grandma. Forevermore, I hear the name Gladys and I bring forward all that experience, right? Once upon a time, Jesus says, there is a judge and a widow. We know judges and we know widows and we now bring forward everything we know about judges and widows. Once upon a time, two characters in our story today, a judge and a widow. With the opening sentence of the story, we already know a lot because we know judges and we all know widows. So we know judges, for example, we imagine judges in this story, it's a he, we imagine him to be harsh and we imagine him to ask a lot of questions and we imagine he has all the power in the courtroom and we imagine if you get sassy, he will slap you down. We imagine that judges don't really smile. Is that just me or have you noticed? We imagine judges don't really smile and we also imagine that he will make a verdict and it will be done for the day. We also believe that uh, judges are in a court system, a system of power, and, and for some of us, we wonder if the court systems are uh, honest, and we've heard about bribes, and we import all of that into this story, and we also assume if we never have to see a judge in this lifetime, it'll be a very good lifetime. Am I telling the truth? We know judges, but we also know widows. You know them, and I know them. Widows tend to be older, and widows tend to be alone, and widows tend to be maybe lonely, and widows usually have less money or they're on a fixed income, and widows tend to be kind and a little bit generous, and widows need us to take care of them to make sure they have food and a bed and they get a Christmas card and a birthday gift. We know widows. They're easily exploited and taken advantage of. So we know we should have our eyes on the widows in our family. We know widows. Once upon a time, there's a judge and a widow, and with just this sentence, we are already set up in our story church. We have already selected a side. We have a favorite. We know we will cheer for the widow in this story, the underdog, likely the one to be in trouble, and we know that we will boo and hiss for the judge. Once upon a time, there's a judge and a widow. The people in Luke's community are no different than you and I. Everything we know about judges and widows comes rushing forward when Jesus begins this parable. It's a short story. The first sentence already tells us. Remember a few weeks ago when Dr. Leslie Martin was here, she told us this is what our brains do. We have so much information we begin sorting Sorting, sorting, it's not all necessarily bad. Oh, there's a widow and a judge, now I'm ready to listen. Once upon a time, the four sent- this, this parable is only four sentences long. This parable is a one quarter of the length of the parable from last week with Pastor Devo, which was a much lengthier, much more complicated story. This one, four sentences, just these verses in the Gospel of Luke. In a certain city, there's a judge who neither fears God nor respects people. In the city, there's a widow who kept coming to him asking, give me justice in this case against my adversary. For a while he refused, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or respect people, but I'll give this widow justice because she keeps bothering me. Otherwise, there'll be no end to her coming here and embarrassing me. 
Now listen, knowing what we know about parables, we've been saying this for about three or four weeks now, knowing what we know about parables, that they're not well-behaved stories, that parables will always surprise us with a twist or a reversal, that parables are always social commentary on our relationships, on family, on wealth, on power, on the community, we should already be aware, knowing what we know about parables when we read just these four sentences. We might also think, those of us raised with a Bible, we might remember that in the very beginning of our Bible, the book of Exodus chapter 22 tells God's people, don't mistreat a widow. P.S., don't mistreat anyone. But widows are kind of special. And if you mistreat a widow, God's gonna get you. We might bring that forward when we're listening to this story, or we might think of the first widow in Luke's storytelling. Luke chapter two, there's a woman named Anna. You might think of her like your grandma. She's 84 years old, and she prays all day and night. Luke tells us she sits in the temple, she fasts, she prays. When she speaks, she only talks about God. We might bring that forward when we're listening to this parable about the widow, widow this morning. What else do we know about widows? We might bring that forward. In our parable, however, the widow has a loud voice. And she goes through these three motions, these three gestures. If you can't see them, the underlined part is what I'll comment on right now. She kept coming to the judge over and over and over. She keeps giving him work. In the original language, she's giving him an assignment or work. The second sentence there, she's demanding justice. What that means is, I want you to get my enemies. Your Bible translation might say, avenge my enemies. That means punish them, give them what they have coming to them. It's not a wrong interpretation to imagine, send the avengers. It's not a wrong interpretation, if it helps us understand the parable. The widow standing in front of the judge, send the avengers to my enemy now, unleash that retribution. And finally at the end, she keeps bothering him. In the original language, this isn't a word for just pestering or being a nuisance. This is a big word. It's only used a couple of times in scripture. This is a word more like boxing or hitting or taking it to the eye or giving the judge a black eye or hitting him right under the eye. The woman's not Muhammad Ali, but she packs a punch. We have to read it carefully to catch all of that. She's giving him assignments. She's asking for the Avengers. She's boxing at his face. This is the widow in our story this morning. And we learn that not all widows are quiet. Not all widows are kind. Not all widows are reserved. Not all widows are without a voice. Not all widows are poor. Some don't accept the verdict of the judge, nevertheless they persist. Some apparently have enough money to spend hours and days in the court. They're not all poor. We learn that some widows don't care about their reputation. Not all of them are afraid of violence. They'll do it themselves. We learn in this story also the judge doesn't have respect for the widow. That shouldn't surprise us. He also doesn't have respect for God. So therefore, he's sort of off the hook 
At least one author notes that these two are kind of a good match. They're a well-paired match. A judge who cares about nothing and a widow who packs a punch. This is our parable this morning. It is surprising to see her showing up this way. So she grants him ju- her the justice, which means he sends punishment on her enemies. And the story, this particular story, is over. Now... We learn judges can be worn down. We learn that widows can be aggressive and vindictive and all of the things. A scholar, Amy Jill Levine, she's a Jewish scholar, New Testament studies scholar. She helps me when she says this. Once we stereotype the widow, we can ignore the challenge of the parable and we can ignore the challenge of our stereotypes. Can I read this again? Once we stereotype the widow, we can ignore the challenge from this parable and we can ignore the challenge of our stereotypes. Is that what this parable would like to teach us? Our stereotypes are showing, church. Check our stereotypes. Stereotyping has been going on probably since the beginning of humanity, right? Stereotyping is as old as being human. Stereotyping this, these widely held ideas, these persistent ideas we have, oversimplified ideas that a person or a group of people are a certain way. Usually they're misrepresentative. Stereotypes. So last Saturday night I got an itching to do some baking. It's been several weeks, which is far too long for this little soul. But I gave myself an assignment, I shall only bake whatever I can find in my house, not going to the grocery store, which is a challenge of another kind. Five ingredients, I go to New York Times, I'm done. It's a molten chocolate cake. This is what we shall have. If you have those five ingredients, you can do this too. Search for the recipe, you just need chocolate eggs, some butter, flour, a little bit of vanilla or salt. You're good, just don't overbake it. Follow the recipe, you can all do it. So I put it in the oven. While I was in the oven, I'm reading the blog comments and I notice on there, this is quite small, let me read for you. I accidentally used four egg whites and two egg yolks. Oops, I always mess that up. It's probably... Probably, if, you're, if you can see this, it's P-R-O-B-O-B-L-Y. It's probably, because I know the basic rules of baking. I mean, hey, I'm still in school, but this recipe is delicious, and I love making it. And this blog comment goes on to say, by the way, I'm 11, so don't judge me. <laughs> I'm 11. I'm still learning about conjugating verbs in Spanish. and spelling. (laughs) Don't judge me is another way of check your stereotypes. Stop stereotyping me. 11-year-olds can bake. We make little mistakes now and then, but you adults make mistakes too. Stop stereotyping me. It's another way of saying, don't judge me. Don't judge me. Here's an image from the, 11, from the 1800s. This is a Dutch artist engraver, and this Dutch artist imagines what people of the world look like all around the world, from Europe to Asia to Africa. He imagines in the bottom left, an Englishman looks like this, and on and on and on. A Frenchman looks like this, a German looks like that. 
from everything we've seen and know, this is our best, this is what Germans look like. We call it stereotyping. They're built up over the history of society. This is how we get this idea that Jewish people have long nose, hooks of a nose, and red hair and ruddy skin. It's not because that's what they actually look like. It's called stereotyping. It's where we get the idea that the Irish probably drink too much all the time. Where Latin Americans, Latins are passionate all the time. It's called stereotyping. Stereotypes build up over history. We have a foundation of them and we bring that forward into the, day we, the way we live today. They're called stereotyping threats. Stereotyping threats, living out of the stereotype. Like girls are probably not great at math. And if you've been a girl in a math classroom and you've struggled, you understand. They actually tell us, the scientists, that in our brain, when we move into the zone where we feel the pressure of the stereotyping threat, something really does happen in our brain and we start to disintegrate. Not because we're not good at math, but because of the stereotyping threat. Hundreds and hundreds of experiments now they have found that if they bring men and women, younger men and younger women into a classroom and before the test they say, we're about to give you a difficult test. And just so you know, girls always do as well as boys on this test. That the outcome from the girls is drastically different. They're actually able to perform. Stereotyping threats, it's the same for boys when we say to them, all boys are athletes. Boys who have more muscle mass and boys who have more mass in general usually and more strength and more testosterone. Boys are supposed to be athletes. It's a stereotyping threat. I'm listening to a blog right now where the blogger tells a story of being a teenage boy going out for football because he's pretty sure he's gay, but if he learns to, be, to do sports, maybe people won't think he's gay. And so he takes up football. Later in his life, when he returns to see his friends and he tries to throw the football, they say to him, what happened to your throw? What a ridiculous throw. Stereotyping threats. Here's one with princesses. Now, a lot of work is being done on this over the years, but here's what we know just basically in general. Let's start with the princess in the middle. We know princesses have big eyes and long hairs and really tiny waists. In fact, if they were life-size, there would not be room for their reproductive organs <laughs> or their lunch. We know that fairy godmothers, godmothers in general, look a little like Gladys, my babysitter. <laughs> that animators imagine a nanny or a grandma or a babysitter when we create godmothers and she's always got a little extra cushion and rosy cheeks. That when we imagine a female villain, she will usually have ridiculous makeup high cheekbones, pointy elbows. She will be older, often wrinkled, and really look mean and grouchy. And that when we uh, pick the nerdy kid that's gonna go in the comic strip or the cartoon or the film, she will usually have freckles and glasses and wear weird little outfits, and somewhere in the story, she'll get a makeover scene. And we'll realize she really does look a little more like the princess after all. These are stereotyping threats. 
And when animation was predominantly dominated by one or two kinds of illustrators, these kinds of stereotypes built up. Now animators are seeking for broad diversity in the field. So the California Institute of Art is aggressively seeking in high schools broad diversity in animation, which is why we're seeing it change. Stereotyping threats. The problem is that we don't see the problem with this, church. The problem is not seeing this as a problem. The problem is that racial and religious and ethnic and socioeconomic and gender and language and religion, all of the ways we see these differences, the problem is not seeing stereotyping as a problem. And stereotyping leads to prejudice and prejudice leads to discriminatory behavior. The problem is not seeing that this is a problem. Widows are not weak. They just live inside of controlled systems. Look at Tamar. Look at Ruth. Go to the Old Testament. Look at Abigail and Jodeth. Widows are not weak. And if you want to trouble your lunch, go to 1 Timothy 5, where we can see the early church still working this out with the widows, the real widows and the fake widows the old widows and the young loose widows. Widows are not weak, they're simply trying to survive and try inside of a system. The problem is if we don't see this as the problem. Stereotyping threats. This, this uh, short video I wanna show you comes to us from the Unstereotype Alliance Company. My name is Ben, and I'll be playing Useless Dad. Receptionist. Mother. Mother. Corner shop man. Can you do it in an Indian accent? Full shebang. He wants the paper as well, huh? No? Why not? Mr. Jones's office. Hello. 90. Okay, yeah. Quick wash. We've got pink sheets. <laughs> Hair model. Can you be a bit happier? Back a bit. Happier than that? Further. I'm right by the wall. Perfect. Sorry, what do you want me to do? I get called in to do sexy dancer type roles, but actually I trained at the Royal Ballet School and I'm a classically trained ballerina. Maids, mothers, cleaners, hair, beauty, pretty girl, someone's girlfriend. Three accountants, a drowning man. I'm never the hero. Um, I'm always sort of handing the hero a note. I wish, I wish I could get the funny roles because I could do them. Normally it's about my face, my hair and my body. I never get to speak. I won't be able to speak. I'm a fabulous, awesome black woman. I've never played a role like that. Did you hear her? Awesome black woman. It would be great if I could play a role like that. The problem is when we don't see the problem. 
the stereotyping threats, and here drops into the 21st century a parable of Jesus. Watch your stereotypes, tribe of Jesus. Your stereotypes are showing. The problem with stereotyping threat is that the the stereotyping leads to thoughts and the thoughts lead to discriminatory action. And Jesus needs all his disciples to know. Monitoring and refusing these stereotypes. Some of them are so simple and some of them much more complicated. In the coffee shop this week, a man, a very... uh, a very agitated and filthy and troubled man ordering coffee. By the time I stepped in, there are 20 people observing a really out of control scene and no one in the shop knew what to do next. He demanded he have his coffee served to him the same way as everyone else. Please slide it across the counter. And this sweet team of baristas kept trying and kept trying and every time he would refuse it and push it and coffee would spill and he would become, and everyone's a little fearful for their safety. No one knows what to do, but we've all got him pegged. He's crazy. It's difficult. Driving up to the playground, watching my little Amanda when she's in sixth grade play the part of a dumb blonde, like all the things coming out of her mouth. I'm like, whose child is this? She's bopping her hair back and forth and she's moved her pigtails up in the top of her head and she's chewing gum and saying stupid stuff. And she gets in the car and it took us the rest of the day and the evening to find out from my child what was happening on the playground. Well, mom, they're telling dumb blonde jokes. I'm like, you're not a dumb blonde, though. You have the highest math score, girl. Yeah, but they're telling dumb blonde jokes. So it is easier to play the part. What if her skin was darker? What if her accent was thicker? I remember thinking as the days and weeks went by, we kind of had a simple problem that day. Stereotyping threats in the tribe of Jesus. Church. We can be useful in the world on this topic. We can be useful to step into the middle of these scenes. Maybe we are a little more careful the way we separate ourselves from the earliest ages forward. Maybe the kids in the advanced writing class don't get separated out as class groups from the rest. Maybe AP kids don't go there and the rest go here. Maybe we don't do boys against girls for teams. Maybe from the very beginning, the tribe of Jesus can be useful on this. It turns out we have our own widow in Adventism, in my opinion, Ellen White, who moves to the end of her career. She lives more than 25 years after James White dies, and she's still engaged in a battle with the General Conference to get sustenance or retirement pay because her husband has died. And she is a widow. She dies in debt. Whose names are on the books? Once upon a time, there's a widow and a judge, Jesus says. This great task of seeing people as people and not social categories and part of the social order. But I also have one more thought about Luke before we end today. Luke is the only one who tells this parable. It begins in Luke chapter 17, all the way back a couple of chapters. He goes on all the way till they enter Jerusalem. On the way to Jerusalem, 
Luke starts telling story after story after story. Sometimes when Luke begins a story with Jesus, he says nothing, just let me tell you a parable. Other times when Luke tells us a story with Jesus, he does as he did in our story today. Luke 18, verse 1. Jesus was telling them a parable about what? Their need to pray continuously and not be discouraged. Is this a, prayer, a parable about prayer? Luke tells them this is about praying continuously and don't be discouraged. And then he tells the parable and then Luke ends in verse 6 with the Lord talking. The Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Won't God provide justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will God be slow to help them? I tell you, he will give them justice quickly. But when the human one comes, will he find faithfulness on the earth? So that you are aware, when your pastors study these stories from scripture, we don't simply repeat to you ideas we are reading from other people. Today is a very candid reflection because I am troubled with Luke's story and I can't find any author or commentator, commentator who's as troubled as I am. Here's why I'm troubled. I'm troubled by Luke's shaping of this parable. Are we to think of God as the judge? Are we to turn this into an allegory then? Are we to think of, of ourselves as being persistent long enough that we could wear God down? Are we to think of ourselves as getting out of control and even violent swings and threats if eventually we can wear God down? I, I know. Luke says God will act more quickly and, vindic and vindicate us. But are we, are we to assume that this is the pattern with God? The parable is over and the judge's decision is to continue the violence. He's going to send violence on her enemies. Her enemies can now uh, commit violence back on her or come back to court. And the cycle will go on and on and on. What the judge and the widow do is perpetuate the cycle. But are these two not part of the tribe of Jesus? This is the Jesus who says, turn the other cheek. Give them the other coat. This is the Jesus who says, on your way to court, if you can settle it ahead of time, do so. This is the Jesus who says, love your enemies. I bring peace. Some stories in the Bible are simply over. They don't end. I think we're on one today. The story doesn't end or at least it doesn't end well. I'm unsettled about what I read here today. And still I can find something. We don't solve every story each time. Still I can find something in our parable today, something of use, something I need to hear. We will be praying and working on our stereotypes until the Son of Man appears. Jesus is ready to walk into Jerusalem and he encourages the disciples, pray and work on these things. Seeing people as people will always challenge me. I had enough experience with this this week to know this is true. And because of our identities and our diversity, several times a day we will feel, feel stereotyping threats. And here comes an invitation from Jesus reminding us some days we will have the opportunity to stand in the middle and make it right.
A few days ago, I heard someone tell a story. <clears throat> Retired professor from our university. And upon retirement, this professor realized that because men and women were on different accrual cycles at her retirement, women during the earlier years of education were only allowed nine-month contracts where men got a full-year contract for the same work. And when women took a break from work to have their babies, it wiped out that entire year, any partial year of service. So when this woman, well-deserving of a full retirement, looked at her retirement a settlement with our Seventh-day Adventist church, and she noticed, she approached an administrator and said, what do you know? I worked nine, I didn't work nine months, I worked 12 months all those years. And within just a few hours, the phone call came back and an administrator said, we have settled this, your 38 years are 43 years. And it is done. Because someone could see the stereotyping was evil and wrong. And this one day, someone could make a difference. So even when I'm busy stereotyping administrators of my church, I shall remember this story. There are judges who do things just. And there are widows who have equal voices. Amen.